Previously on Algoa FM Breakfast. All right, he is all ours this morning once again. Dr. Suleiman, a friend of the station of the show, he joins us again, taking a little bit of a break from all of his work. I don't know how he does it. I don't know when he rests. Uh, he's always on the go. And this morning he's taken some time out to join us in studio, to chat to us, give us a little bit of an update on the drilling process and also to chat about a malnutrition project that he's been involved in. Dr. Suleiman, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Algoa FM Breakfast. Uh, good morning again. Nice to see you again, Alicia Charlton, and of course, Cornelius. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for the coverage. And to the listeners, you know, you guys have been phenomenal. Thank you for all your support. And, you know, and even the people of, uh, of the city. Thank you very much. We really appreciate everybody's uh, response to us. Driving and, around. and our Facebook followers. You were surprised that we had so many Facebook followers because we posted the post last time on our Facebook. And we're now going live on Facebook. So to everybody who is tuned in on the Facebook live, the, there he is, Dr. Suleiman in all his glory on Facebook live this morning. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> Dr. Suleiman, you've managed to spend some time in the bay and um, you know you've seen what we have to offer so we're going to put you on the spot a little bit this morning and ask in your opinion what do you reckon is the best part of our city and I ask this question because it might also just reignite our own fire for the city because a lot of people do feel a little bit demoralized at the moment with what's going on so from someone who doesn't live here who is essentially you know a visitor to the city what is it in your opinion that uh, that's the best part about Nelson Mandela Bay strangely enough on my way to your station I was telling Ali was driving with me to see if there's a city I can stay in and not Cape Town it'll be the city you know people oh, I said all wow. people are running to Cape Town but I would rather run to this city it's very central it's clean everywhere you go there's lots of quiet suburbs you know where the residential and the business sectors intersect but if you drive around I told him I'll come and tour the city right now I'm a disaster tourist <laughs> <laughs> so, when I come as a proper tourist one day I look at I look I look at the area itself but it's absolutely beautiful. And the people, wow, the people are incredible. Nobody rushes. When you walk across the road, even when it's, it's supposed to be a rare traffic light, and you walk across, they stop, nobody fights, nobody shouts, they give you away. You know, and you walk in the mall, you walk in the shops, everybody comes to treat. It really is the friendly city, if that's what you guys call yourself. You know, it really is a friendly city. The people are wonderful. It's a fantastic city. I think people will be silly to leave here, to be honest. I think we should sit here and develop the city. It's a great city. You always think your situation is worse Mm. unless you get somewhere else. I've been throughout the world, throughout this country, to every corner. And this is actually a fantastic city. It can develop. It can create jobs. It can bring harmony. It can bring unity. There's there's no friction. You see people get along with different races and religions. There's respect. I mean, it can't be a put-up. I've seen this. I've been here how many times already now in, in, in the last five weeks? And I've been to many, many places in this area. There's just such a goodness, a culture of goodness and sharing here. This is a great city. I, to me, it could be a model city for, for, for the country. Dr. Suleiman, uh, as of yesterday, Gift of the Givers opened its 13th bowl in Nelson Mandela Bay at uh, Wamahai um, at the school, of course, which is a fantastic achievement. And given the time frames, especially, have there been any challenges in the, the drilling and how has the community and local business been, been able to help as well? The challenge has been because we, we bring our drilling teams from outside. They come from Bethlehem. So the challenges are quite a few. Plus, we were still sorting out the crisis in KZN, and we're still sorting it out there. Yeah. We had drilled 17 bowls in Tongat, but Escort needed boreholes. Amzinto needs boreholes. It's not necessarily flood-related. It's areas that had no water previously, or there was areas years of you know no water supply. So we said, let's hit it one time. So mm. we did it with Tongat, with Amzinto, Escort, and we suddenly had to pull, and we had to pull the machines away to come to. So that was the first challenge. 
And then secondly, we said, we run, normally the guys who do the drilling, they use, it's a whole process, it takes five days. They yield test, you know, per bowl. And I said, if we're going to take one bowl for five days, whoa, it'll be a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work. So fortunately, yeah. you know, and then we found local hydrologists, you know, who got experience with the rocks and, and, yeah. and, and, and what, what type of water to expect. And that was a very good decision that we made to bring in a local hydrologist. There was a guy called San Marie White. And we brought a guy from uh, Hofmeyer, Albert van Heerden, who understands this area very well. Mm-hmm. And then we brought local guys who can do the pump sites. So can actually, once we finish drill, they for the pumps, they do the electric work, they do the digging of the trenches. All that takes a hell of a long time. Yeah. And, and then we use it, the local laboratories for water testing. So that part we overcame within the first three days. Okay. But then some of the areas we went to, one or two our balls collapsed. The, the, the sand was too soft and it just collapsed into, into the bowl. So then we had to we put PVC linings as we're drilling yeah. and go down. So it takes a little longer. Yeah. And then we were thinking, oops, our water yields. Like yesterday, you know, when we decide now, do we go 140, do we go 180? The problem is we have to drill really deep here. So it takes much longer and it's far more expensive. Our, most of our drilling is up to 180, 240 meters. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's expensive per, per liter, uh, per, you know, per meter, especially with the diesel cost. But I mean, it's an emergency, so that doesn't bother us. Yeah. We need to get the job done. And yesterday was a very good news because when we were in Walmer High School, when, when we got there and we opened the bowl, our yield was 3,600 litres per hour. We went deeper and we're now 15,000 litres per hour. Wow. So mm. just making the right decision to move in at the right place. Mm. And then, of course, the next one was Altona. was brilliant on Saturday. It's gold, 70,000 litres per hour. Sure. Wow. So we're finding good water. So to us, corporates have been phenomenal. FNB had a function yesterday, invited the corporates. They've been coming, you know, VW, Coke, uh, Steribos, FNB, Investec, all have been coming, uh, Vodacom, Wonderful. all been coming to support us. And then, of course, the, the, the public has been phenomenal. So, yes, the support has been great. And your relationship with the government has been very good with the municipality and Benny Martin and his engineering team. There's a willingness to work together because this cannot be done alone. Dr. Suleiman, as much as it's usually appreciated, I mean, gift of the givers coming in now to drill boreholes and the fixing of infrastructure and leaks and so on is essentially a reactive strategy, right? Having been in the city for a while now and identifying some of the challenges that we are grappling with, including malnutrition, which is something you've been working on, what are some of the other issues that you say we would need to get a handle on now so that we are proactive rather than reactive going forward? First of all, the leaks, we're not involved in that process. We're sharing the responsibility. Denise Van Eistian and Prince Matonsi and the Business Chamber are driving that process. They've been phenomenal. And Aspen has taken a huge lead you know, in, 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 in doing the leaks. They're dealing with that part. We're dealing with the boreholes, providing the Jojo tanks, you know, fitting, uh, bringing bottled water, bringing the water tankers in or the desalination plant. We're doing that part. Yes, but that what question you're asking me does not relate specifically to the city. It's a nationwide uh, response that we need to be proactive. This country has got a serious problem with terms of management, maintenance, skills, and experience. And we need to sort those things out, you know, as a matter of urgency throughout the country. To me, I would make a call to the Minister of Finance, actually in his budget, to put up a budget of several billion rand a year for maintenance of the country. Mm. We're spending too much of time building new things that we don't really need. You go to PE Provincial, there's buildings lying there empty. Look in a terrible state, but it's not something you can't fix. You'll have a whole new nurse's home, fix the window, paint the building, put in new plumbing stuff. You don't have to build new, mm. and it's too expensive to build new today. And you've got good, strong buildings that were built when the strong the structure, is, is solid. Yeah, yeah. Mm. structure is solid. So that's the first thing. You need management and you need maintenance. We need, we need personnel. The healthcare system is collapsing, you know. 
we were the only country in the world, I think, that shut the country down at a lockdown when we had no wave. I mean, why did we do something so silly? We shut the country down when there was no wave and we killed the economy. Mm. You know, it makes more sense to wait for the wave, see where it happens and shut that area down, not the entire country. Yeah. And we said we were shutting the country down because we were preparing the health system. Nobody prepared the health system. You didn't bring any healthcare workers. You didn't put oxygen points. You didn't put in supplies. Even now, hospitals don't have a soap to wash in the Eastern Cape. Doctors are bringing soaps. We, we're sending food supplies. I'm not blaming the health department. I'm blaming the way the budgets are done, you know. Yeah. So we need to, because individual personnel are trying their best, but they can't do it without funding and support. Administration. So yes, so we need support from corporates to fund nurses, dietitians, OT people. This kids got learning disorders everywhere. They have no opportunity now to make progress. We need to support that. So proactive working with government and the corporates and the public. Let's bring in personnel and let's go forward. We move on to um, another topic, something else that Dr. Suleiman um, is busy with in the province, malnutrition. Dr. Suleiman, it's back to school today for many of the kids around the country. We were chatting about lunchboxes earlier on and what we had in our lunch lunchboxes as kids compared to what the kids of now have in their lunchboxes. But a great many of kids don't have even a lunchbox um, to take with to school. Many kids suffering from malnutrition um, and many deaths occurring as a result. Um, a lot of, you know, uh, health issues coming about as a result of malnutrition. You've identified it as an, as an issue, first of all, globally, but also you've had a look specifically in our province and realized that hunger and starvation is a big, big, big problem in the Eastern Cape. Please tell us about the project. It, it's, it's, it's throughout the country, but we've picked it up more markedly in the Eastern Cape. And the hunger, it's, you know, it's, it's different. there's different phases. You get hunger, and then you get malnutrition, and you get death from malnutrition. It's different phases. The hunger itself, it's, it got more emphasized during the time of lockdown, when people were waiting for food parcels, and we rolled out more than 1.2 million food parcels. But you could see the hunger. The hunger was visible and it was invisible. It wasn't mm. restricted to a people of you know a rural community or the lower community groups. It was also the middle class and people who suddenly lost their jobs, couldn't pay their bonds, couldn't pay their cars, couldn't pay the school fees, pull the kids out of school, but they were hungry. So there were different degrees of hunger. There were people who had who were you know expensive homes and their friends were sending them you know the, the door delivery car delivery food to whatever you call that thing you know the yes, yeah. delivery kind yes. of stuff yeah. to the house because they had no food and they didn't know how to tell their family they had no food so people took a big knock and then you went to universities and the kids would come to you and the, and the, and the lecturer or the, the social worker or the psychologist phone and say the kids are dropping in the, in the, in the university. Mm. You know, there was lots of hunger in, in lots of units, not related to Eastern Cape only, n nationally. And, and by dropping, you don't necessarily only mean dropping out, you also mean Fainting. dropping no, I academically? Mean, I've, I've, I'm talking about falling down in the class. Oh, yeah? wow. Oh, falling out of hunger. Okay. Collapsing. Wow. Collapsing. Wow. And, 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 then they would and then the students themselves would say, we got bursaries, we got accommodation, we got transport, we got textbooks, but we got no food. And that is, doesn't make any sense because no child can manage to study with no food. Then it, that's university and old people and young people being hungry. Then the schools closed down because of lockdown. So then school nutrition program went through the window. So how many kids were hungry in the school? And when we started sort of supporting it, soup kitchens, first only kids came, then more kids came, then kids from home came, then adults came and mm -hmm. old people came. And I've mentioned this on the station before, like in Perry, kids were eating plants to survive. In other areas, oh. they were eating oh. uh, lizards and tortoises to survive. And then 
when they would go to the dump sites waiting for food, eat from a peanut butter bottle or from the jam tin. And then young small kids, thin, you know, malnourished, stand in the queue in the cold July weather in, 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 in Eastern Cape and say, can you give us food for our parents and our brothers and sisters? We won't eat too much. Can you give us? The soup kitchen started multiplying. The amount of, they couldn't cope. All people, they would, I mean, all congratulations and, 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 and blessings to the soup kitchens who've really tried hard mm. to accommodate as many people as possible. They've been battling and they've been getting very sad. They can't feed everybody. So it became a problem across all groups and across races and, and, you know, and colors. And then recently, we started picking up that kids were dying at the hospital. And we had a meeting with the health department, one of the people, in ch- the dietitians, the nutrition network, and they, they, said, they didn't say cover it up. They said it's a reality, it's a fact, it's a problem. And say the biggest problem is adults don't know what malnutrition is because they're so used to being hungry, they don't know when oh, it's a crisis wow. anymore. Mm. So they say, okay, we're hungry, the kids are hungry, but I mean, you don't have mental growth, you don't have brain growth, you have stunting, you have short stature, you have yeah. loss of weight, you have protein imbalance, you have a whole lot of infections that come in after that. It's almost, it's almost <coughs> too late. By the it's time too late. Mm. Yeah. So today we want to be proactive and they said, they take it, we sat with the dietitians and they said they now want to go on an education program in the rural areas. And we said the schools are the best places. Educate the schools, educate the teachers, educate the children, and of course, if you can get to clinics nearby, educate them. And in in addition to that, while it's educating, we're rolling out this peanut paste called Easy Peanut Paste. We bought, one of our dietitians is involved with this, process, with, this, with this product. And then three years ago, the company that makes it from Norway asked me to do a, a Zoom with them. And they asked me some advice, not for local, but for international disasters. And I gave them advice and told them why, what they want to do won't work. And I never heard from them. And suddenly, they called back a few months ago, and they said they saw all the peanut paste that we've been buying, on and the social media pages, and they're seeing how important this product is. Do we mind taking a donation from them? They sent us 25 million rand worth of peanut paste. Wow. Oh, and it arrived about a month ago. And we're rolling it out. We did four or five clinics here, TB hospitals, HIV clinics, you know, nutritional uh, pediatric wards. And we're running out throughout the clinics in the Eastern Cape and hospitals. It's going to go to schools. And, of course, now we're getting calls from other parts of the country that want the same thing. Sure. Any calls to community to assist? Because, I mean, I would imagine, so you've got the peanut butter paste, but you would need perhaps like bread to put it on, right? Yes, but no, no, no. You just, you peel the thing off. The way it's made, you just squeeze the thing into your okay. mouth. Okay. You eat it like that. Okay. It's, it's very, very easy to eat. You've got a lovely taste. The kids absolutely oh, love it. Oh, this is why you're referring to it as a paste. Almost like yes. a toothpaste. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You just, you just rub the... As a t- booster. Right and you put it in. It's, it's fortified. So you don't need too much of food. Mm-hmm. Remember when you're so malnourished, you can't eat big quantities of food. Yeah. You have to eat small amounts slowly till you build your system up. Correct. So they do, it's also good for immune boosting. So you do it slowly. To call communities. Don't worry about gift or the givers. Help the people next to you. We don't really need you to come to us. You know, mm. it's about doing it in a dignified way. Yeah. If everybody, you know, we have a teaching, whoever does an atom's weight of good shall see it. Your neighbor may be hungry. Down the road may be hungry. Your, your, your oh, domestic may need it. Let's 65 million it. South Africans just do it quietly. You know, just give somebody a bread or a peanut butter. Or, but buy something nutritious. Buy something yes. that has value. Not sweets and chocolates, you yes. know, things that have no value. Yes. Give them some stuff, you know, they can eat. Even a small maize meal is a staple diet. It's a bulk full of, you know, it's got fortified stuff. It's got vitamins. Let's find something. To, what it now means, and let's just give it on to the domestic or our staff or a little extra salary and let, let's pass it on. And, and companies can give food, you know, they can donate it. Let's do it quietly, but let's do it as a nation. Dr. Suleiman, that's my scuff tin for the day. You know his scuff tin? A lunchbox. Yes. 
in, in Istrosa, you call a lunchbox is kaftin. Okay. So that's my takeaway. Yes. You don't need to call Gift of the Givers to help as the community. Help your neighbor. Help your domestic. Help help the person next to you. That's my skaftin. And also, in, uh, the important thing is your family. Quite your family may not be with you. As families find it hard to stretch their hand out to fellow family members. If you know that, do it in a very dignified way and don't ever remind them, mm. you know, I helped you four months ago, five months. The worst possible thing that you mm. could do is do it and look the other way. And it's important to find your family members. All religion tells you that. You know, find those that are close to you, family members first, yes. then neighbors. And let's start bringing, you know, all the different commandments and right living and values, spirituality, morality, morality values and ethics. This is what this country needs. We need to go back to that. Always, always, always busy you are. Do you ever rest? <laughs> yes, I do rest. <laughs> I have three hours of sleep a night and it's more than oh, enough. <laughs> ever go on holiday, Dr. Sinan? Oh, I hate holidays. <laughs> 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 I, I, I told you I'm a disaster tourist. I, I don't. I went to New York, you know, uh, on my way to Haiti. I stopped. I greeted the Durko in the United Nations building. I went straight back to the hotel. I closed the curtains. I didn't walk in the streets. Next morning, I took my flight and I was gone. I didn't want to see any buildings. I didn't want to go any outing. All the buildings. Didn't want to ride in a yeah. yellow cab. All the buildings looked the same to me. The roads looked the same to me. The beaches looked the same to me. I said, "What's the difference? You know, I'll see it on National Geographic." You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a guy that's a workaholic. I work, you know, I, yeah. because I'm purpose-driven. I've seen yeah. too much of suffering. Yes. I'm doing this for 32 years. Gift of the Givers, by the way, Gift of the Givers is 30 years old on the 6th of August this wow. year. Oh, congratulations. So, you know, but I've been doing this two years previously to that. And I've just seen too much of suffering. I don't have time to waste on, on, on holidays. Yes, I've got to take my family out. But even when I'm on holidays, I get hit by disasters. There isn't a holiday I've been to where it's peaceful and nobody calls when they don't You're have a problem. You're a disaster package. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it draws me, yeah. disasters draw me where I go. Wow. Uh-huh. Well, we heard your calling yeah. the first time we, ch- we chatted a few weeks ago, and yeah. what a brilliant calling that was. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people spoke about that calling yeah. that was called upon your life. Dr. MTS Solomon, founder and chairman of Gift of the Givers, always welcome in the Algae FM studio. And once again, you and your team, thanks for what you guys are doing. Always one important, such a one important point we're finding the water, but you guys got to conserve water. Yes. Everybody, please conserve water because if the rain don't come, we can push the water away for a certain period of time, but it will get finished at some point. Yeah. So please conserve water, fix the leaks, check your cistern, check your tap, check your garden. Don't waste water. Save it. You'll have it for another day. It's life-saving. Everybody, please listen and save water. We have to do our part as well. Yes. That's it. Thanks, Doctor. Thanks, Dr. Suleiman. Algoa FM Breakfast is the business.